This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. We're so happy to have you here today. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. And one of us is in a different time zone right now. Is that is that correct, Justin? Yeah, I'm, I'm in Hawaii, partly family vacation for the kids' winter break, but also everywhere we go, my wife and I do uh, what we call product research. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we're hitting a couple locations over here. We're in Maui, down on the front street in Lahaina. We're going to be going to dinner at Fleetwood's, which is named after uh, Mick Fleetwood, drummer for the band Fleetwood Mac. Of course. They have a very cool sunset show with uh, bagpipers and all that on the upper roof deck. So we will report back on, on what the experience was like for that. And of course, you know, coming to Hawaii, um, you have to sample rum. Because mm-hmm. of the sugarcane history, so we product will probably research. be sampling product research. We'll be sampling rum, and we're going to see, you know, which rum tastes better in pina coladas versus mai tais versus other things. So, uh, I'm always happy to share in our experiences. I love it. That's a you know not a bad work trip, quote quote work trip. I might well, need to apply it, for a job separately. Yeah. This one. It reminds me of the upcoming work trip we have. To go down to spring training in Arizona, too. Exactly. Uh, so that'll be in a couple weeks. Yep. Yeah, of course, Heritage Distilling partnered with the Mariners. And the Mariners this week getting underway down there in Peoria and starting their spring training schedule. It's pretty exciting. I love this time of year. I know the old adage, hope springs eternal, but it really does always feel like that. It's a wonderful feeling. You feel not only like baseball's coming, but you feel like summer's coming. It's just such a great feeling. Especially with the crazy weather we've had in the Northwest the last couple of weeks. Yeah. We all, we all deserve some sunshine. Yeah, we're <laughs> over the snow kind of stuff. So, yeah, if you can't make it down to Hawaii, maybe at least you'll get to Peoria to catch some of the Mariners games. If not in the meantime, I'm sure there'll be nicer weather coming your way in the Pacific Northwest as well. What's going on in the headlines this week? Well, uh, you know, we've talked in the past about interesting experiences around uh, beer, wine, or spirits and how it relates to dinners and, and just experiences overall. So the latest one, this one comes from the drinks business. This is a tour company organizing a Titanic dive and dinner. <laughs> it will happen in uh, July of 2019. The host company is called Cookson Adventures. They've teamed up with Ocean Gate, and they have this amazing travel package. Nine people are going to make a journey to the Atlantic Ocean just south of Newfoundland, where they will uh, get in a, a government-type research vessel that will take them uh, down 4,000 meters uh, to where the Titanic rests. And that vessel is going to uh, you know, steer around the ship and explore the deck, the bridge, the radio room, and other uh, staircases, that kind of thing. And then they're going to come back on land, and they're going to have a 10-course meal. And the menu is based on the dinner menu that was served the night before the Titanic sunk. And then they're going to uh, feature a bottle of 1907 Heidsick Gout Champagne, which is a vintage known to be served on the vessel. They got a bottle of that from a company called Wine Source. So all in all, they estimate the cost of this per person is going to be $105,000 per person. Wow. So, uh, wow. There you go. The low you price. Extra 100 and- 
you have an extra 105,000 and you are thirsty and not claustrophobic, that would be a good trip for you. Exactly. Am I the only one that finds it a little creepy that you want to recreate the same yeah. like, meal and drinks as this happened the night of this it tragedy? It spell well for them. So, yeah, it is. A, I'm with you, more. It's a little weird. I do find the exploration part of it really fascinating. And yeah. I'd be way into that. I get uh, that. But I'm with you. Yeah. I just, I don't need a 10-course meal anyway, but it's, a, it's slightly <laughs> morbid. <laughs> yep. Uh, next up, also from the drinks business, a vodka producer in Canada is puzzled because they had 30,000 liters of special water stolen from one of their tanks. Here's why it's such a big deal. It's because the water was from a iceberg that they harvested. Uh, they are one of the few companies to get permits to go to the Arctic to harvest uh, iceberg, bring it back, melt the water, and then use that water infiltration for their vodka. 30,000 liters of, of the water would have made about 150,000 bottles of vodka. The water alone was valued at 9,000 to 12,000 dollars. And they're just, they're kind of puzzled as to who would go through the effort to steal 30,000 liters of water. How did they do it? Where <laughs> did it go? And uh, they think it happened sometime in between February 8th and February 11th. And uh, they have contacted the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and Crime Stoppers. So if you see a random 30,000 liters of water <laughs> wow. floating around, Labeled it, may belong, water. Yeah. it may belong to Canada. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. This sounds like it should be the plot of a movie, maybe like the next Oceans movie or something. This is entirely fantastical that this was able to be pulled off. Also, I'm yeah. intrigued to know if uh, iceberg water vodka tastes that much different. Now I want to try it. Exactly. <laughs> Well, there was a distillery in Alaska several years ago that they were going to calving ice, icebergs, the glaciers, uh, glaciers, not icebergs, but the glaciers, and they were getting chunks of uh, ice as they were calving off, and they would melt that down. And there's there's really dense in uh, oxygen in the in the uh, uh, iceberg and glaciers. So it is, and it's a very different consistency. Well, it's on our list to try now. All right. Uh, lastly, in uh, the news, carbon produced by winemakers is five times more concentrated than uh, the carbon produced by airplanes, and that's because of the fermentation process. So this also comes from the drinks business, and uh, wine makers who are uh, serious about trying to reduce their carbon footprint are now trying to figure out how to capture the carbon dioxide coming off the fermentation process. A single bottle of wine can contain 80 grams worth of carbon dioxide in its production process. And if you want to be a serious leader in sustainability, according to one winemaker, you've got to capture the carbon emissions. They are testing different technologies. One of the technologies would uh, capture the carbon uh, and put it through a chemical process to make it an additive for paint. And uh, another process uh, turns it into an inorganic carbonate. And yet another uh, turns it into uh, chalk for uh, drawing oh, chalk. Wow. So. Uh, as those technologies become perfected and they get cheaper to implement, more cost-effective, you'll see them really kind of take over across uh, all industries, beer, wine, cider, spirits, uh, uh, and maybe even the soda pop industry. Well, we're big fans of wine here, but also huge fans of, of being green and taking care of our environment. So that makes me happy to learn that they're finding new ways and new technologies to do so. Well, speaking of being green and taking care of the environment, we also care about taking care of ourselves and being healthy. And up next on Cast Club Radio, we've got eight health benefits that vodka offers. You heard me right. Eight health benefits of vodka. It's next on Cast Club Radio.
Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks again for joining us on this Saturday afternoon, wherever you are today. We've talked in the past on the show about healthy initiatives, especially at the beginning of the year. We talked about ways to be healthier in 2019, and we always like to uh, discuss those on Cast Club Radio. Well, now we've got a great new article. This comes from Wide Open Eats. The author is Fabiana Santana. Uh, it's got eight health benefits of vodka. These I, these I need to hear. <laughs> Yeah, and we should just clarify, it's uh, not generally legal in the U.S. to claim that alcohol has health benefits. So uh, <laughs> we just want to have a disclaimer here that this is not uh, our opinion. We're simply going through what uh, someone else reported. Maybe it's so. more like perks or, sure. or new uses that you may not have yeah. thought of mm-hmm. before. I like that. <laughs> this is this is all according to the author, Fabiana Santana. So number one, uh, vodka is an excellent disinfectant, antioxidant, and antiseptic. Vodka hits the trifecta when it comes to cleaning things, curing things like bad breath, maybe healing an aching tooth. It's also a pretty effective mouthwash. And uh, the next time you go to clean toothbrushes or your hairbrush, it's one of the best rinses out there. Have you ever uh, rinsed your toothbrush or hairbrush with vodka? I haven't, but, you know, maybe uh, that would be one of those things where you're out camping or you're traveling or something and it's a necessity. I would definitely try it then. Yeah. Okay. Well, number two, stress reducer. So the claim is made of most alcoholic beverages, but vodka has the science, according to Fabiana, to prove it truly does reduce stress. It also has sleep-inducing properties that can relax the body and calm the brain. And uh, that may explain why it was given as a tonic of vodka to prevent premature labor centuries ago for women who uh, were uh, at risk of going into labor too early. So wow. that's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I would say this one's a little dangerous, Fabiana. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> yeah. not advising that. <laughs> you might yeah. not want to fight your stress or your you know, sleeping problems with vodka. Mm-mm. Yeah, our uh, OBGYN practices have come a long way in 200 years. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. uh, number three, and I, I have read this in other uh, publications, vodka is a great ha- hair and skin enhancer. The ingredient uh, primarily in vodka is alcohol, it's ethanol. Uh, it is a pore tightener, and as far as facial cleansers go, it's uh, alcohol is one of the main products in all facial cleansers, if you read the ingredients. So it's no surprise that vodka can do the same things. When it is applied as an astringent, it can clean clogged pores. And uh, when applied to the scalp, it helps eliminate toxins from hair to prevent dandruff and promote healthy hair growth. So have either of you used vodka to clean your skin or wash your hair? I haven't, but as you were reading that, I was just thinking about like spraying my face with vodka and then smelling like vodka. There's actually a good tip here that says if you don't want it to smell like you just wiped your hair or your face on the floor of a bar, you can add in some essential oils and that will take care of that problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it, it is uh, it's fascinating how many consumer product items contain just the word alcohol on the mm-hmm. label. And mm-hmm. most, most people don't think about that many of those alcohols are substitutable and that you could just, in many instances, use vodka instead of uh, whatever the they put in the, the product. Number four on the list, they claim that vodka heals arthritis. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about this claim, but according to new scientific research studies, uh, they show that vodka can actually help heal symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. Part of the reason vodka works so well is that it helps reduce inflammation, just like an ice pack on a swollen wound. So um, I think before I would to make that claim, I would actually go want to look at what those studies had to say. Yeah, and if you check out this article, she does link to those those specific studies. So if you want to go online and read those, they are available. 
Number five, according to Fabiano, vodka reduces risk of disease. It helps develop what are called collateral vessels. Basically, that means increased free flow of blood flow and prevention of the development of major illnesses such as stroke and heart attacks. So, again, this is a pretty wild claim because <laughs> uh, you talk to a lot of doctors and they will say that, uh, you know, alcohol in certain quantities, especially excessive quantities, uh, puts real strain on the heart and vascular, yeah. cardiovascular system. So um, uh, I would be careful with this one. Number six, reduction of hypertension. So vodka aids in creating HDL, which is the good cholesterol in the body. Good cholesterol means a reduced risk of high blood pressure and heart diseases. Like most of the things, uh, according to her, drinking alcohol should be in moderation and excessive consumption will affect the number of health benefits vodka has. Didn't we just say that? We just said that, I think. <laughs> yeah. right? it just, it's always good to repeat the words. disclaimer. Mm -hmm. That's good. Number seven, fever reducer. When rubbed onto the body as an oil or lotion, vodka can help reduce fever from the common cold. Rubbing a few drops onto your temples also has been an old Russian folklore remedy for treating headaches and fevers. I have not tried that. I've never heard of that. No. No. Mm. Never heard of that. Never would have thought to rub vodka on as an ointment or a lotion, but you know, yeah. I think vodka is more common in Russia, so I guess at some point they gave it a try. You know, That's you right. have the, in the US, you, you hear about the like wives' tales about moms rubbing um, a little bit of whiskey or vanilla or something on babies' gums when they're teething, so I mm -hmm. guess we, we do have our own. Yeah. Lastly, number eight, uh, her claim is that vodka aids in the digestion process. Moderate consumption of vodka has been used to treat irritable bowel syndrome and, rel uh, and relieve digestive issues. Uh, you know, on, a, on a related but separate note, from Europe, all over, they have the uh, digestifs, which are alcohols. They're spirits that you would have in a very small glass after dinner because uh, they have, over the course of centuries, learned that uh, that type of alcohol, those digestives, do help in the digestive process of some degree. But on the flip side, you know, the first thing that alcohol does when you drink it is as it goes through the metabolism process in your body, it converts into sugar, and then the sugar then has to be processed through the regular metabolic processes. So one of the reasons why if you drink uh, alcohol before going to bed, you may not have a restful night's sleep because your body actually is producing sugar off of the first initial steps of trying to deal with the alcohol. So, mm. you know, always be careful how you do that. Keep that in mind. The nightcap tradition is kind of confusing <laughs> then. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, some people drink so much alcohol that they essentially pass out, which is not ever a good thing. Yeah. Um, and you deal with what those effects are as, as you go through that the next day. But even having small amounts can affect the quality of your sleep because if you're producing sugar, you can't necessarily get into that really deep REM sleep. Absolutely. And we'll post this article online as we do usually with all our articles, heritagedistilling.com, so you can take a look at it. But we will always recommend that you talk to your actual doctor about any uh, health <laughs> claims and what you should be doing in your own in your own personal life. We love a good cocktail here at Cast Club Radio, exactly. but I think you can tell we're all maybe a little skeptical of some of the claims of in that article. <laughs> or we don't want to get sued. <laughs> Coming up on Cast Club Radio, we talk to the creative mind behind Schilling Cider. They have the nation's largest selection of craft hard ciders made by local master cider makers. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome. 
Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, we are joined by Colin Schilling, the founder and CEO of Schilling Cider. How are you doing, Colin? Doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for taking time out of your must-be-very-busy schedule to chat with us. <laughs> Can you give us a little background on how Schilling Cider got started? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually started it in 2012 in my garage in the Queen Anne neighborhood. Um, But long before that, I kind of got into cider uh, through my family at an early age. So I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Idaho, um, on a big property with a lot of apple trees. A lot of those were kind of old and had been there for a long time. And so we would make a family uh, trip every year out to the trees, pick all the apples, and then do a big pressing. And they, of course, made hard cider for their own use. And uh, at some point, I got very interested in kind of the science behind that and wanted to take it to the next level. So I went down to the homebrew store and got some books and got some equipment and kind of learned how to do it properly and then started innovating and making my own recipes. And I've been you know, doing that ever since. So it was about a decade later before I actually started the company. At this time, I just graduated from, from school and went off to work for Microsoft, still an avid home cider maker at that time. And, you know, it just seemed right. I was young and stupid, I suppose. And I figured I'd go out and try my own business and see how it went. And uh, luckily for me, it went pretty well. So we were, uh, you know, one of the first cider companies, we were the first cider company on the West Coast to use cans. And that was mainly wow. driven by our desire to be as sustainable as possible in our process. Cans are far more sustainable than, than glass bottles for packaging. And that really gave us a niche that helped us grow with kind of the can explosion that we've seen in terms of, uh, you know, how many more people are preferring cans over glass these days. And then, you know, today we're actually the largest independently owned cider company in the state of Washington. Wow. So that's the, that's the quick story of our last six years. Really impressive. Yeah. What, uh, what made you know that you wanted to make that leap from just being a, a hobby and brewing in your garage to, to committing full-time and, and opening your own business? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, being an entrepreneur is, is scary and challenging for sure. That being said, my family for a lot of generations back have owned their own companies in one form or another. Mm-hmm. And so I had that example set for me early on, and, and so did my, uh, my co-founder, Mark. Um, his family had also run their own companies. And so for us, it was just one of those things that we, we kind of figured we would do at some point. We just didn't necessarily feel like we would do it so soon right out of school. Um, but the timing seemed right. You know, cider was really starting to take off for a few companies that were in it. You know, we were still one of the early people that started making cider in the Northwest. And then we were just ready to, to give it a go. Um, so that's really what, what drove us to try it. Do you get to still focus on that sort of crafting process that made you fall in love with it? Or are you more preoccupied now with the business side of things? I mean, I kind of, you know, do whatever needs to be done as, as the CEO role. But mm-hmm. I actually spend a lot of my time still out in the production facility making the cider from day in and day out. Uh, you know, I still do all of our new recipe development, and I, I actually make a lot of the cider still to this day, too. I just nice. spend a lot of hours. So, you know, when I'm not doing that, I'm doing everything else as well. Um, but I really like to be involved in that hands-on side of the process. That's why I originally left my desk job as I was, you know, tired of sitting behind a computer yeah. for 10 hours a day. And now I get to work with my hands and be a little more creative. And, uh, and I still really enjoy that process, absolutely. So six years later, now Schilling Cider has not one but two locations, one in Seattle and one in Portland. What can people expect when they come and visit? Yeah, so we opened the cider houses for a couple reasons. But one of the biggest ones was that cider wasn't really seen in the same light that, say, spirits, beer, or wine were, uh, especially a few years ago, in terms of there was a lot of education still to be done around what cider was, what it tasted like, how it was made. And so we actually sell a lot of guest ciders there as well. About 70% of the ciders we sell are not made by us. 
which is kind of unique positioning, um, especially for a lot of folks that, you know, think it's a very competitive industry. We really like to support other folks in the industry that are doing cool things and innovating as well. And we believe that if, as an industry, we put out really good, high-quality products, that kind of all boats will rise and, and cider as a whole will grow. And so we're very specific about the ciders we bring in, but we do offer, you know, at Fremont, we offer 24 taps of guest cider, and in Portland, we offer over 40 uh, guest taps. Wow. So it's pretty cool that we're able to do that. Absolutely. How do you make those selections? What goes into that process? Yeah, that's twofold. So first, we have buying guidelines that are very specific. So anything that's at our cider bars has to be made from fresh breast juice, independently owned, free of artificial colors or flavors or preservatives. And then secondly, we have uh, highly trained folks, uh, Jenny and Sarah at the bars respectively, who obviously select the ciders. And so it has to meet their quality and taste standards as well. And they can buy whatever they want. I mean, we've had some outrageously expensive kegs that we've brought in from a cave in France. I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff. (laughs) But if it's high quality and meets our buying guides, they're allowed to bring in whatever they want to bring in. And then we specialize in flights. So it really gives people an opportunity to try a lot of different things. And all of our tap list is color-coded uh, on a sweetness scale. So if you like really dry ciders, you can pick all only dry ciders. Oh, nice. If you like sweeter stuff, you can pick that. Or, of course, the uh, the bartenders there are also cider enthusiasts and can help you out um, <laughs> if you're not quite sure what you want. Have you noticed a lot of people who uh, were beer drinkers and who are converting to cider because they just are finding the beer is not their thing anymore? Yeah, we certainly see that. Um, it's kind of a combination of all the above. I think what we see most is just people that appreciate quality product. Mm-hmm. So someone may be at Fremont Brewing right down the street, you know, having a double IPA, and then they may walk over and have a cider afterwards or vice versa. But we do also see those people who are specifically seeking outsider only. I mean, we're obviously kind of a, a beacon for those types who really want to try ciders that they're not going to find anywhere else. I would say, too, that people are coming around to uh, appreciating cider as its own beverage. So a couple of years ago, people would generally think of cider as, you know, sweet and, you know, not very complex. And now I think most people in the Northwest understand that cider is far more complex than that um, and can be quite dry and quite full of flavor in, in not an overpowering way. Um, like I think, I think the original pers- uh, uh, perspective was about cider. Yeah, I, we've had someone from Cidercraft Magazine on in the past, and we've talked about how it's kind of interesting how beer and cider just get lumped together or have been um, in the past, even though they really have nothing to do with each other in particular, or they're at least very unique beverages. Um, the education process that you mentioned, have you seen a lot of progress in the last six years when it comes to your consumers? Are they, are they more educated now 60, than they were six years ago on what cider is? Oh, absolutely. And that's especially true in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that, you know, as I travel across the country, there are certain places where I still get asked, you know, what grains and what hops are you using in the cider beer, uh, which, of course, mildly offends me. But we're working on that. And I haven't heard anything like that in the Northwest in a long time. Yeah. Um, so I certainly think that, you know, Schilling and a number of other companies out there have done a fantastic job um, really educating uh, people about cider and giving them the knowledge that those craft drinkers really appreciate to be able to connect with a beverage that, you know, at the end of the day is really an agricultural-based uh, product. You know, it does come, uh, you know, basically farm to glass, and we're bringing that most of those products in uh, directly from Washington State as well. You know, most of our apples are coming from Yakima Valley. Uh, we do bring in a little bit from France and the U.K. now, specific for high tannin, kind of rare apples that you don't find much of in the U.S. Uh, that we're making uh, a cider with now as well. But for the most part, everything is coming from, from that Yakima Valley region. And speaking of education, you 
allow customers to come in and make their own cider and you've got that kind of hands-on experience you want to walk through what that means yeah absolutely so we're again big supporters just like we are of other companies that are doing really cool things we think home brewing is also a critical part to you know driving that enthusiasm behind a particular uh, beverage and so we want to show people how to do that if they want to make their own at home and so we offer classes um, at the fremont location and at the portland location where it's about a two-hour class you get about an hour of that class is a lot of more in-depth background on cider and things that are very specific to how you judge a cider. So, you know, people are very familiar with uh, IBUs and beer. You know, when you're talking about cider, we'd be talking about bricks, cannons, sugar content, things like that, um, you know, various things that uh, can balance a cider. And then once we have those fundamentals down, we actually uh, get a growler of juice, and then we talk about uh, nutrients, yeast, different additives, things like that. And people actually get to take home a growler that will then ferment uh, in their own house. So they get to take home their first half gallon of homebrew cider, um, and a couple weeks later, they'll have something that's at least alcoholic and then of course you can uh perfect your recipes and perfect your technique from there but it really gives you a nice base to be able to start getting into home brewing cider or home home making cider that's kind of coming full circle for you you know coming from your own garage and now giving people the opportunity to sort of fall in love with cider on the hands-on process oh absolutely uh we think you know connecting with the beverage in that way is 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 very important and, and honestly a lot of fun absolutely and also, I w- we do want to mention that it, you're not restricted to coming into one of your locations to be able to find your products. People can find Chilling Cider in stores just about everywhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. Anywhere that's got good craft alcohol uh, <laughs> should have Chilling Cider. We've got a bunch of cool six-packs, grapefruit, London Dry, uh, pineapple passion fruit. Uh, Excelsior is our new one. That's our new Imperial Cider. Um, so, yeah, definitely check that out at your local store, and we appreciate it. We had a, we had your website up on our, our work computer, and we literally had a coworker stop us and say, the, the grapefruit is so good. <laughs> yeah. You have to get it. So definitely, definitely popular around here. Where can people check out more information on, say, the cider-making classes or just your hours or any general information? So shillingciderhouse.com or shillingcider.com, both of those places, you'll find a bunch of information about us. Um, and that's where our website is where you sign up for the cider making classes. So you can do it right through the website. But those do fill up really quickly. So if it's on wait list for the particular class you want, go ahead and throw your name on the wait list. And then you'll be the first to know about new classes as they get announced if you do that. Perfect. Um, Worth the so wait. That's the best way to find out. Awesome. Thank you, Colin, so much. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Always love chatting about cider. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, up next, the Oscars are tomorrow. And of course, you know, here at Cast Club Radio, we are always interested in what everyone is going to be drinking. So not only will everyone be dressed to the nines, but the drinks will be perfection, too. They have a special mixologist working on them, and we're going to go over those and leave you with a cocktail recipe of our own. That's coming up next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks again for joining us today where we've learned a lot about cider and uh, we're getting excited for baseball season. We've got a great cocktail for you in just a few moments here. But you know what? Tomorrow is also the Oscars. It's a big day if you're a movie lover. Have you guys seen a lot of the Oscar films going on this year? No. I've seen a couple. A couple. A couple. That's how I always yeah. feel every year. I feel a very you know uncultured that I've yes. seen about two or three. But uh, the Best Picture nominees this year being Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, 
Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. So have you guys seen one or two, at least? I think that's a success. I've seen I've one. Seen three of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> what was your favorite? Uh, I liked Bohemian Rhapsody because the music, the, oh, the soundtrack that, wonderful. that overlaid throughout the movie and the acting uh, that the actor did to get into the Freddie Mercury character was so amazing. It was, mm-hmm. it was His performance was pretty amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to beat a Queen soundtrack. Yeah. How about you, yeah. Moral? What'd you like? I mean, I've only seen Black Panther out of these, uh, sadly. Well, it's a great one to have seen. Also another excellent soundtrack on this list. Yes. So, uh, well, we'll see what the fate of the Oscars is tomorrow. In the meantime, there's also an important component of the awards show that involves uh, beer, wine, and spirits, which is, of course, our bread and butter here. And this is an article from Refinery29. Olivia Harrison wrote it. Uh, it details what the stars will be eating and drinking at the 2019 Oscars Governor's Ball, which I had to have Justin inform me in the break, is, uh, is the biggest party tied to the Oscars, correct? Yeah, it's the official party of the Oscars and the Academy Awards, and uh, it features Don Julio Tequila. They're the main sponsor on the alcohol side. And then Wolfgang Puck. Wolfgang Puck is the official partner from the food side. So what they put together for the Oscars Governor's Ball in preparation with Wolfgang Puck and his team is they brought in uh, Master Mixologist Charles Joy, and uh, he created a series of cocktails that are going to be featured with wine pairings at the Governor's Ball. And uh, we thought we might just talk about a a few of them. Now, these all are tequila-related because they all involve the tequila from Don Julio. Mm -hmm. Uh, They involve different tequilas, the Blanco or the the Reposado, but uh, some interesting things here. One that was the most outrageous uh, requires a gold eggshell and uh, <laughs> that obviously must be just for presentation because um, I still am looking for my goose to lay the golden eggs mm, and not found we them all? Yet. Yeah, and it yeah. has to, you have to use the nitrous uh, whipped cream canister to actually make the drink into more of a solid and pipe it into a gold eggshell. Okay, yeah. those are just laying That's, around your house, right? It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Uh, all these cocktails require multiple steps, lots of work. But let's just kind of walk through a few of them, and you get a, an idea of the attention, the detail they're putting into it. So the first one uh, from Charles Joy, this cocktail is called the Rosella. It requires the Don Julio uh, Blanco tequila, white vermouth, fresh lemon juice, simple syrup, Lavender bitters. Hey, Scrappy's uh, lavender. Yeah, we got a yeah, shout, shout out. Local, yeah. <laughs> local. Uh, and then some fever tree ginger beer. And the most difficult ingredient to find would be a fresh hibiscus flower, because you're supposed to strain the entire drink into a flute over a hibiscus flower that's going to sit in the bottom. So I don't happen <laughs> to have those lying around my house. Do you? Mm-mm. No. And then you have to mist it with orange oils. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, again, a little over the top, but, uh, you know, what part of Hollywood is not over the top? Exactly. Another one here we talked about recording the golden egg. They call this the El Dorado. It re- uses the 1942 brand of Don Julio tequila, coconut milk, cold brew coffee, uh, caramelized pineapple juice. That wow. sounds really amazing. How do you caramelize the pineapple juice? Uh, simple mm-hmm. syrup, anise and orange essence smoked salt and cocoa nibs for garnish and then the gold eggshells so let's just talk about three of these (laughs) things in here caramelized pineapple juice how would you do that number two the smoked salt and cocoa nib garnish and then the gold eggshell i'm not going to make this drink at home this is way too complicated i'm wondering are they rimming the 
gold egg shell with cocoa nibs and salt? Yeah, it's, let's see here. It's impressive. It says dust it. Dust it with smoked salt and cocoa nibs. So that would imply that you are almost pulverizing it down to a powder. And then sprinkling it on the drink. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be a, an absolute work of art, though. I, I, I will attest oh, yeah. to that. Which, like Beautiful. many things at the Academy Awards, it's about you know who you're wearing and the art, the whole art of it. So I bet some of these, we'll have to look for pictures afterwards. These are probably pretty darn impressive. Oh, yeah. These are going to be uh, Instagram worthy. We uh, talked about yes. that yep. several, a couple months ago. These will most likely be uh, shared around the planet on social media for sure. Well, if you can't make one of these extravagant cocktails, we'll post online the article and so you can take a look at them. But uh, if you want something a little simpler and easier to make at home, as always, we've got a cocktail recipe for you. And this one I love is themed, of course, after the start of baseball. Yes, we call this the BSB Fastball. This calls for our BSB brown sugar bourbon. This recipe uses BSB 103, which is the 103-proof uh, high-test version. If you want a little tamer version, you can go with the regular BSB, which is 60-proof. requires orange juice, ginger beer, and an orange slice, a thin orange slice. So pretty easy. In a tumbler with ice, put in two ounces of BSB 103, one ounce of orange juice, Top it off with ginger beer and then garnish with that orange slice. Uh, refreshing, beautiful, uh, sweet, and uh, you know whiskey notes, and then some of the tanginess from the orange juice. And uh, it is a sign of warmer things to come as we thaw out. We love it. Well, hopefully a good luck to the Mariners as they get spring training underway. Justin, we hope you have an incredible time in Hawaii. We're all just a little bit jealous of mm-hmm. you. And also a great time down in Peoria. Thanks, and uh, I will keep all the listeners in mind as I continue to conduct research on that. <laughs> yes, we love it. Well, hopefully we'll yeah. get to hear about that on future episodes of Cast Club Radio. In the meantime, Absolutely. if you want to download this or other episodes of Cast Club, you can do so at heritagedistilling.com. Uh, there should be a link right there for you on the front page. Also, you can check out articles uh, here that we have we've talked about and discussed on this show. That's right. You can also email us with questions or observations at caskclubradio at heritagedistilling.com. Follow us on Instagram, on Facebook at caskclubradio. You can also go to our heritagedistilling.com webpage and get access to recipes, news articles, blogs, all sorts of stuff. And uh, please also don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Absolutely. Have a great Saturday from all of us here at Cask Club Radio. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.